Welcome to the August 6th evening sermon from Clifford Baptist Church, 635 Fletcher's Level Road in Amherst. The scripture is from Ephesians chapter 4, and the sermon is entitled, The Sin of Unforgiveness, delivered by Revival Guest Speaker Dr. Dan Reichard from Faith Bible Church. It's good to see uh, some old friends and uh, make some new friends here at Clifford Baptist Church. I want you to know that we love Clifford Baptist Church. We praise the Lord for what God is doing here, and we pray for you. And it's good to see prayers answered. I am, I must say, Pastor, I am amazed to see such a great crowd tonight. Well, let me rephrase it. I don't know how great you are, but, but a big crowd here tonight on a, well, what's been a miserable, miserable weather day today, but you are here. Maybe your house is a leaking and this is the only dry spot you could find. I, I, I'm not sure, but I am glad you are here. It's good to have these folks here from Faith Baptist Church. And I know Pastor Jeffrey has experienced this, but I want to say that being, being the, the under-shepherd of Faith Baptist Church, I never knew that a shepherd, an under-shepherd, could love the sheep so much. And I thank the Lord. I know Pastor Jeffrey feels that way about you. And uh, I thank God that we're, we're, we're all in this together. Amen? Amen. And uh, thank you, choir. What beautiful, beautiful music. And what great reminders. And I kept thinking as we were singing, just give me Jesus. You know, what, what, what do we need in life? Tom, thank you so much. What do we need in life? We need Jesus. And uh, he desires more of us. And it is a privilege to be here this evening. I want you to turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter, chapter 4. And uh, we're just going to look at a couple scriptures this evening. Let me say that uh, when Pastor uh, Jeffries asked me to speak, I, I immediately knew uh, what the Lord would have me to speak on. Having been in ministry for almost 50 years now and uh, being married going on 51 years, being in a lot of churches and a lot of ministries, I think the greatest need, I think the greatest, let me share, let me say this way, I think the greatest sin that we as God's people are guilty of is the sin of unforgiveness. And when we're speaking about revival and, and God speaking to our hearts, we come together to say, Lord, we need Jesus. And Jesus, has, in his sovereignty, has chosen to need us. Isn't that an amazing thought? God who needs nothing and God who is everything has in his sovereignty chosen to use you and I. You and I, according to Ephesians chapter, uh, two, chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, and then on to 10. We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works. You know what that means? That it means to a lost and dying world, you and I are exhibit A for the reality that there is a God in heaven who can change lives, that he can mend the broken, he can put homes together, he can, he can uh, tear the shackles of, of addiction, and he is doing that. Not only is he doing it here, he's doing it all over the world. These are great days to be alive. And if we do believe that these are the last days, and even the last days of the last days, isn't it amazing that God has chosen you and I for, for such a time as this? In Ephesians chapter 1, it's really, it's going to be just, a, or Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1. The Apostle Paul says, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling wherewith you were called. What is he saying? 
He is saying, in fact, when you, when you read uh, the, Paul's writings, usually about half of the letter has to do with doctrine. And then the second has, has to do with practice, how we live out the word of God. And he says in verse 1 that I, I beseech you, therefore, and therefore means we go back to chapters 1, 2, and 3, and all the beautiful doctrine and all the mighty, wonderful things that God has done in chapters 1 and in chapter 2 and in chapter 3. And now he is saying in chapter 4, verse 1, because of all that he has done and all that he's doing and all that his plan uh, encompasses, I want you to live lives that, that are worthy of the calling we have as his children, as his ambassadors, as salt, and as light. But our text is not chapter 4, verse 1. If we were to continue to read chapter 4 and we'd go all the way through it, we would see that it is a litany of ways in which God's people are supposed to walk. It, it tells us how Christians are to conduct themselves, how we are to reflect uh, the living Holy Spirit within us, how we're to live out the fruit of the Holy Spirit according to Galatians. And in 31 verses of this, we get to the last verse of chapter 4, and that is my text this evening. It's Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32. Listen to what Paul says. He says this, and be kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, has forgiven you. Now we look in that verse of scripture, and really there are three things that he points out. He says you're to live three characteristics of the believer. One is we are to be kind. Kindness is how we live out our faith. It's how we treat others with respect. It has to do with the unity of the faith. It has to do with, with the brotherhood that we share as brothers and sisters in Christ. And then he says tenderhearted. Tenderhearted is the inward motivation that causes us to treat others with kindness. Now we could stop right there. And we could talk about kindness and we could talk about tenderheartedness. But he adds one more, and uh, we pretty much get a lot of nods when you get to, we ought to be kind one to another. Yeah, we ought to be kind one to another. That's a good thing. We ought to be kind one to another. I'm going to start being kinder to people. That's a good thing, and it's a good commitment to make. And uh, we need to be tenderhearted. Yes, I need to be more tenderhearted. I need to be tenderhearted about the lost and dying world. I need to be tenderhearted about uh, those that, that God has placed within my sphere of influence but then he's going to add this little phrase, and this little phrase is so much bigger than the few words that it encompasses, because he says this, forgiving one another. And the reality is that forgiveness is very, very hard. We live in such a divided world, don't we? We, I mean, we, we live in such a divided world. We have, we're, we're, we're being split, we're being divided, we're being, we're being turned one against a, a, another. And it's difficult to be kind, it's difficult to be tenderhearted, but many people would say that it's really difficult to be forgiving of one another. That's the hard part. That's the part where it gets difficult because it gets personal. 
And we are to forgive one another. That's the hard part this evening. Dr. John MacArthur, in one of his books, pointed out four consequences of, of having an unforgiving heart. Somebody has hurt us. Somebody has offended us. The Holy Spirit has convicted us that we've hurt somebody else. But yet, because we feel it was warranted, we feel that it was justified, uh, for whatever reason, we're not willing to ask forgiveness. Others are not willing to, to forgive us or ask us to forgive them. And, and we... we, we nestle within our hearts a spirit of, of uh, unforgiveness. And of course, unforgiveness turns into bitterness. And Hebrews 12 tells us that bitterness ultimately turns into that which poisons those around us. Many, the Bible says, are defiled by our bitterness. Let me give you these four things. Number one is this, unforgiveness will imprison you in your past. He goes on to say this, he says, as long as you fail to forgive an offender, you are shackled to the past. Unforgiveness keeps that pain alive and throbbing. Unforgiveness never lets that wound heal. And you go through life uh, reminding yourself of what was done to you, stirring up that pain and making yourself progressively angrier. You go through life accumulating bad feelings. I know people, I know people personally, and uh, Shelly and I have a family situation where, where an individual was hurt and uh, in a marriage and divorce situation, and, and she, this woman literally went to her grave bitter, and she had poisoned every relationship in her life. She had poisoned the relationship he had with Jesus Christ. She had, she had poisoned the relationship she had with her children and with her grandchildren. Why? Because she was locked in the prison of unforgiveness and bitterness. Someone says bitterness is the poison you make intending for someone else to drink, but we ourselves drink it. And I have, in, in these years, I have met so many Christians and many times we put on a nice smile and we put on our Sunday clothes. We shake each other's hand on a Sunday morning. But when you get to know them and you get to say, you get to ask, you know, what is God doing in your life? What's happening? You begin to realize that there is that root of bitterness that is there. And it is, it is a prison that is uh, holding them. Number two, he says, unforgiveness will produce bitterness inevitably. The cumulative effect of remembering without forgiveness of some offense done against you is that you become a bitter person. The longer you remember the offenses, the more data you accumulate on it, the more you uh, recite by memory, the more it occupies your thinking, the more it shapes your person. I've met people that doesn't take long to get to know them. They may even, you may even almost be a stranger. And uh, when you begin to enter into a conversation, they want to tell you about some hurt. They want to tell you about what some pastor did or some uh, youth worker did or what their spouse did or what their children did or what their boss did. And they want to, or what some church did. And that's, that's all on their mind. They've become just completely obsessed with the bitterness and they defile again many. Then unforgiveness gives Satan an open door. Unforgiveness throws the welcome mat out and invites the demons in. 
where you have unresolved bitterness and an unforgiving spirit, you have given place to the devil. Listen to these verses of scripture. Ephesians 4, chapter 4, verses 26 and 27 says, Be angry and, and yet do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath and do not give the devil opportunity. You see, unforgiveness makes us vulnerable to the fiery darts of the enemy. And it opens the door for greater temptation and greater sin. In 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 10 and 11, the Bible says, But one whom you forgive anything, I forgive also. For indeed what I have forgiven, if I have forgiven anything I did for your sakes in the presence of Christ, so that no advantage should be taken of us by Satan, for we are not, we are not ignorant of his schemes. The Bible tells us that we have bitterness in our heart. It's like we just leave the door open. I was raised over on in, uh, Right Shop Road. And I remember the day when when we never locked the door. In fact, I doubt if we even had a house key. And uh, Dad always would leave the, leave the keys in the station wagon. I remember saying one time, I said, aren't you afraid somebody's gonna steal it? And he looked and said, of all the cars in Madison Heights, you think somebody would steal this? And I, I got that, but it was a different day, wasn't it? And if we foster unforgiveness, and a spirit of bitterness in our heart. It's like we leave the front door open and the enemy comes in and he ransacks. He takes our joy. He takes our testimony. He takes our usefulness. He takes our families. He takes, our, he takes it all from us. And this can happen in an individual. It can happen in a family. It can happen in a marriage. It can happen in a church. It can happen in a nation. It opens the door. And then number four, unforgiveness will hinder your fellowship with God. Most Christians, I don't think, realize the connection between having an unforgiving spirit and whether or not the God of heaven will even hear our prayers. In Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 through 16, Jesus gives his disciples the modern prayer model in response to the disciples asking Jesus to teach them how to pray. You know the prayer. You've said it, our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom. You know the prayer. And you even have said it dozens, hundreds, maybe thousands of times. But yet there's a little phrase in there that I think many times we just, we've said it so many times, we just, we, we fail to let it capture our heart. Uh-oh, what does this mean? Because he goes on to say this. He says in verse 12, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Did you see that? What we are saying when we pray, and forgive us our debts, forgive us our sins, as we forgive others who have sinned against us, we are saying to God, forgive me of my sins to the same degree that I am willing to forgive those who have sinned against me. Whew. Do we really want that? Do we really want justice <laughs> or do we want mercy? And he's saying here that I'm going to forgive you of your sins and he will forgive us of our sins. Uh, we, we, we have the promises of the word of God. But he says, I'm only going to forgive you to the degree that you're willing to forgive others. In fact, it's the only portion in the Gospels 
that he actually gives a commentary. He gives a commentary that and goes on to say this. He says, uh, after the amen in verse 13, the prayer goes on to say this, for if you forgive men their trespasses, our heavenly father will also forgive you. But if you forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your father forgive you. That's pretty powerful, isn't it? If you have a spirit of bitterness, or if you know someone that has a spirit of bitterness, God has stopped hearing your prayers. You are out of, you may not have, you may not, if you're saved, you did not lose the relationship of father and son, but you lost the fellowship. And God is turning a deaf ear. David said, if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. And I wonder how many Christians that pray flowery prayers and long prayers and beautiful prayers, God's not even listening because they have a spirit of bitterness. Now that leads us to the inevitable question. How can I forgive someone who has hurt me deeply? Whether they ask for my forgiveness or not. I've sat across from folks in my office who have been abused, who have been refused, who have been misused, who have been sexually abused and have been taken advantage of and have been hurt in, in undescribable ways and their hurt is so deep. And they look at you and they say, Preacher, how can I forgive? And I'm human. I just want to stand up and say, You're right, you can't. I think let's go get a baseball bat and let's just take care of this ourselves. That's the, that's the flesh. That's the human. You have been hurt so bad. And I want to be your defender. I want to help you. But the question remains, how can I forgive someone who has hurt me so deeply? And that, my friend, the answer is the gospel. You say, wait a minute now, the gospel. We're not really talking about the gospel. We're talking about, we're talking about how we treat. We're talking about being kind. And we're talking about being tenderhearted. And we're talking about being forgiven. But the reality is, it is the gospel. He goes on to say this, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, has forgiven us. That's the gospel. That's the reality of the gospel. You got saved. If I were to ask you how you got saved, and you were to stand up and say, I got saved because I lived a good moral life. I got saved because I uh, gave money to the church. Or I know I'm saved because I got baptized when I was 12 years old. Or I've lived a good life. Or I've, I, I'm part of the, the Moose Club or the Goose Club or, or whatever uh, c civic organization you're a part of that does good things. You see, the reality is God did not save you. God did not forgive you because of anything that you did. God didn't even forgive you because you asked him to forgive you. God forgave you because of what Jesus Christ did on the cross of Calvary. That's why he... For and, and if we are here today, we, we must declare that it's only by the blood of Jesus Christ it's only by his death and burial and resurrection in our place. You see, God has forgiven us 
Not because we deserved it. Not because of who we were. In fight is in spite of who we were. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There's none righteous. No, not, no, not one. All of our righteousness is just filthy rags before God. And yet God forgave us because of what Jesus Christ did on the cross. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, for, for he, speaking of God, has made him, speaking of Jesus, to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. That is the gospel. That God laid upon his son Jesus Christ all of your sin and my sin. All of the sin had been, that had been committed up to the cross. The sin that was being committed at the cross. The sin that would be committed after the cross. God laid all of this on his son Jesus Christ. And he who knew no sin, Jesus Christ, for that first time in all of eternity, he became sin. And he cried out to God, he's his father, he said, why have you forsaken me? Some people might say, well, that's just a figure of speech. It's just, well, it's not a figure of speech. God the Father literally turned his face against his son because God is too holy to look upon sin. And When Jesus cried out, it is finished, it wasn't, oh, I'm done. When Jesus said it is finished, Jesus was saying all that needs to be done to pay for the price for, for mankind to live forever in heaven and have lives changed has been done. The sacrifice is complete. The work has been finished. The price has been paid. Amen? And if you're here and you're saved today, it's because Jesus Christ took your sins on the cross that he, and, uh, and, uh, and paid. He took your hell. He took your damnation. He took your, your offenses. He took your penalty. As we used to say years ago, he took your spanking. And kids just looking at each other and go, what's, what's a spanking? I don't, I, don't remember, I don't know what that is. Ask, ask, I got to say ask mom and dad. Don't ask mom, ask grandma and grandpa. They'll tell you what spankings were. But Jesus took that on the cross. And, and in exchange for our sin, he gave us his righteousness. Now, I'm going to tell you something that, that you're going to look at me and you're going to say, how arrogant, how presumptuous. But I, this evening, standing here, I am, in God's eyes, I am just as righteous as his son, Jesus Christ. Amen. <laughs> now, all the folks of faith, you know, they're kind of shaking their head. I'm not so sure about that. Uh, we know them better than the rest of you do. Because Jesus has placed me in his righteousness. And God sees me in the righteousness of Christ. He doesn't see me in the sin. He doesn't see me in the shame. He sees me in the righteousness of his son, Jesus Christ. This is the gospel. This is good news. If you're here tonight and you've never trusted Christ, maybe you've come in with religion. Maybe you've come in with with. Uh, a tradition. Maybe you've come in with some false idea of what it takes to be a Christian. But I want you to know the gospel is that Jesus took your sin on the cross and what can wash away my sin? Nothing, nothing, nothing but the blood of Jesus Christ. That's good news. You can be saved tonight. You can be delivered. You can become a new person. If any man be in Christ, he is, he is becoming a new person person, a new creation. The old things are passing away. All things are becoming new. God wants to do that in your life. But if you're a Christian and you're wrapped in the, 
you're wrapped in the chains of bitterness and God is convicting you and, and you've even stopped praying because you know God's not listening on the other side. It's good news for you because here tonight, here tonight you can find freedom, you can find forgiveness, you can find release. This year I celebrate 51 years as a follower of Jesus Christ. I also celebrate 50 years in the ministry. I'm, ne I'm not, I say that not to brag, but to say that in my years I am convinced that the number one reason Christians are not experiencing revival in their homes, in their marriages, in their hearts, in their relationship with their children and friends and co-workers is because we carry an unforgiving spirit and bitterness to someone, perhaps a parent, a spouse, a brother, a sister, a relative, a friend, perhaps a co-worker, perhaps a pastor, perhaps even a church. I end with this true story. Years ago, I was preaching a revival. Uh, and you say, well, you preach a lot of revival. I preached a lot then. I was on deputation raising support. And... Uh, they, they, they knew that I didn't have any money and they wouldn't have to pay me. So, uh, yeah, they asked me a lot to come and do revivals at their churches. And, uh, but I remember one in particular. I can't tell you what church it was. I can't tell you where it was. Can't tell you what I preached on that night. But about, oh, two-thirds of the way through the message, a man, a young man, maybe 30, maybe 30 years old, got up, grabbed his Bible, and ran out the back door. I mean, it was so... It was so uh, uh, kind of disturbing, it was so disruptive that everybody in the church just turned around and see what happened. And he left, and I, I didn't know, and I didn't ask what happened. I've had strange reactions when I preach sometime, but uh, <laughs> they asked me if I wanted a lapel mic or if I wanted this. I said, oh no, I want one that I can hide behind if things start flying. <laughs> but the young man left. The next night we were there, and about halfway through the service, he came back in. And uh, he came back in and he sat down. He raised his hand. He said, preacher, he said, can I give a testimony? And I said, yeah, sure, that's, that's, that's fine. And of course, I looked at the pastor to make sure and he nodded. I said, yeah, that's fine. Uh, give a testimony. He said, he said, I was a rebellious teenager. And he said, I, I said things to my parents and I did things and I embarrassed them. I humiliated them. And, and I made our home a living hell. It was horrible. And he said, after I got saved, I was embarrassed to confront them. I was embarrassed to talk with them. I knew that I was saved. They weren't. They wouldn't understand what I was talking about. So I have just swept it under the carpet for all these years. He said, last night, the Holy Spirit got a hold of my heart. I was so convicted. I got out. I got in my car, and I drove to Knoxville, Tennessee. And I slept in the driveway of my parents' house until I saw a light come on in the morning. I knocked on the door. They came to the door. They had not seen me in, in, in more than a decade. A relationship was broken. He said, I just fell down. And I, I just grabbed their ankles. And I just wept. And I said, please forgive me. Please forgive me for what I've done. Please forgive me for how I've hurt you. Please forgive me for all the mean things. I've lived with this shame. I've lived with bitterness. I've lived with this heartache for all of these years. Please forgive me. His parents lifted him up and hugged him and wiped his tears away. 
He said, preacher, he said, that's not all. He said, this morning at 8.15, he said, right before I got in the car and I came back to this revival tonight, I had the privilege of leading my mother and my father to Jesus Christ. Oh, what God could do in our lives if we just took off the shackles. Oh, what God wants to do in a church if God's people will just really get right not only with him, but with each other. We think if we're right with him, we're right with each other, but it's two different things, isn't it? Love God, but also love your neighbor. What would God do in our life? I want to ask you to do something maybe a little unusual. I want you to bow your heads, and I just please everyone, just bow your head. Pastor Jeffrey, we're going to return this over to you in just a minute. But I want to ask you four questions. Question number one is this. Do you know that you know that you know that if you were to die today, you would go to heaven? Now, I don't want to embarrass you. I don't want, that's why we've asked no one to be looking around. But if I could just pray for you, you would just say, Brother Dan, I'm not sure if I died, I'd go to heaven. Would you just lift your hand so that I'd know to pray for you? Anybody in the auditorium that I might know, God bless you, sir. God bless you, young man. God bless you, sir. A number of folks here that are saying, as God is speaking to my heart, I know that I am, if I were to die, I know that I'm not ready for heaven. Now I want to speak to Christians for just a moment. I want to ask you a couple questions. I want to ask you this. Who have I hurt and need to go to to ask their forgiveness? I want you to pray that silently in your heart. I want you to ask the Holy Spirit who have I hurt? Don't make excuses. Don't say, oh, no, that one doesn't count. Don't say that one deserved it. But who have I hurt? And I need to make things right. I want to ask you the question, who has hurt me? And I need to forgive them. Maybe it's a husband. Maybe it's a wife. Maybe it's a parent. Maybe it's a, an employer. But they have hurt me. But I need to release that condemnation, that bitterness. Then the last question I want you to answer in your heart is what do I plan on doing about it? It's not enough just to acknowledge God wants us. Maybe it is getting in a car and driving to Knoxville, Tennessee tonight and ask someone's forgiveness. It's that important. I don't know what happened to that young man. But I believe with all of my heart that his life was transformed when he cast off this robe of bitterness and shame. And God wants to do the same in your life and in my life. And the question of the hour is, what am I going to do about it? Unsaved friend, you raised your hand. You said, you wanted us to pray for you. Our pastor's going to pray for you. Christians, child of God, if God is speaking to your heart, what are we going to do about it? How are we going to walk out of this place different than when we walked in? In Jesus' name, Pastor Jeffries. Clifford Baptist Church invites you to join us for worship every Sunday morning at 11 a.m. For more information about our church, please call our church office at 434-946-0555.